Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Bridget Spackman. And Michelle Emerson. And we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. Lesson planning can either be your favorite time or it can be the thing that you push off each week. Let's be honest. We've all had the days where we've been winging the day's lessons. So we can probably all use some helpful tips to make lesson planning more enjoyable. Today's episode, we want to share how you can be a lesson planning master in less time. Mm, That sounds good. I mean, the (laughs) word less is in the word lesson. So. (laughs) Oh, good observation there. Yeah. You know, I've had a few sips of coffee this morning. But first, let's hear a TSH from Natalie. Fun fact, Natalie is what my dad wanted to name me. Really? Yep. And you can see how that turned out. (laughs) All right. Natalie says her TSH is looking for new resources without searching through resources I already have. Sometimes it feels easy to research resources on demand, but I end up getting overwhelmed and wasting too much time. Always going back to your files is a better use of time and helps you stay organized rather than assuming you need a new resource. Yeah, Natalie, I think a lot of teachers would feel the exact same way. I know that I have definitely been guilty of, you know, not going through the resources that I already have and trying to recreate the wheel. It adds so much more time onto myself. Um, And I don't know about anyone else out there, but I have this this feeling sometimes that I have to do something new because Mm -hmm. I'm bored of it. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with the students because it would be brand new for the students. But because I felt as though like, oh, well, I've already done that for several years. I shouldn't do that anymore. But I also have to remember, but they haven't experienced that. Just because I've done it multiple times doesn't mean that they have. And if it's a good resource and I feel like it works, then I need to be using it. Yeah. And I think students, they talk, okay? And they start to look forward to certain things in certain grade levels. Oh, they do. Yeah. And I know like my fourth graders, they knew when they got into fourth grade, they got to do my math bakery. And it's something they would ask me about at the beginning of the year. So I think what you're saying is valid. It's like we sometimes get bored because we've done it year after year after year, but our students haven't. And honestly, what sticks out to me from this TSH, first of all, I think Natalie already kind of solved it for herself. She's like, Yeah. yeah, I know I need to go back to my files. It's about having them organized in a way that you can efficiently look back and see what resources you have, which we're not going to touch on the organization piece too much in here, but I know we do have an episode all about Google Drive. It's like the what, why, and how of Google Drive. I do not remember the episode number. I probably should have looked that up, but just scroll back and find the episode on Google Drive because I think that's a great way to be able to store your resources. Yeah, for sure. Okay, guys. So if you haven't already, I want you to stop and I want you to go and listen to stop. Wait a minute. Okay, sorry. (laughs) And I want you to go and listen to episode 140, the one thing holding your lesson planning back. In that episode, we break down how to structure your time blocks for each subject. So this is really, really important because I feel as though you have to have the structure before we start getting into like the more micro looking at the individual lessons for that day. And so once you have this structure, guys, 
We promise you it's going to make lesson planning so much easier. Yes. So let's talk about what is lesson planning. I mean, we all know what lesson planning is, but (laughs) I think sometimes we have to really take a step back and go, okay, what is the purpose of this, right? right? So lesson planning is the process of deciding how you will teach a specific skill. It's basically like your roadmap as a teacher to help your students get from point A to point B. It's going to include your objective, your materials, the process and steps you plan on using in order to actually teach that skill, and then typically some sort of an assessment. Obviously, everyone has different ways to lesson plan, different ways to teach the lesson, different types of lessons they have to teach, different expectations set in place by their admin or school. And we're never going to be able to speak to all of those. So hopefully you can take what we share in this episode and just kind of mold it to fit your situation. But we will say, as you gain experience, your lesson plans may not need to be as detailed as they were in the beginning. Everyone remembers those days in college where we had to like write out (laughs) several page lesson plans and then you get in the classroom and you never use that. And that's okay. (laughs) Just know there is no right or wrong way to lesson plan so long as you feel confident going into that lesson to teach it. Yeah. So why do we do this? Why do we have to go about lesson planning other than the fact that sometimes your admin wants to see it on your desk when they walk into your classroom or maybe you have to turn it in at the end of of every single week. And if you do, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. I would really hate that. But here's the thing. Lesson planning gives you a plan to follow, right? You can still deviate and you can still change things in the moment to fit the needs of your students, but it gives you something to go off of. It's like having a map. Mm -hmm. You can take many directions. You can take some shortcuts in certain areas, but you're still going to get from point A to point B, which is the whole purpose of lesson planning. So one, it's going to help you not forget anything, which is really important because (laughs) as you get older, you tend to start forgetting lots of things. Um, It also helps you feel confident and prepared. Every single teacher wants to be able to come into their classroom feeling as though they're ready to tackle the day, right? You want to feel come in feeling calm, collected, cool, and sitting down and like, boom, I'm ready to go. It's going to help you feel, um, stay focused on the objective. And this is so important. And it was something that I really had to learn, especially within like the science and social studies areas for me, which I feel like I'm a good teacher in that area, but I do need to have more detailed plans for myself personally, because I'm not as confident in teaching those subject areas as I am in ELA. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it's going to help keep you on track of your scope and sequence. So this way, you know that if I have to have so many things uh, taught by the end of a certain nine weeks, then I can make sure that I have all of those elements that I've touched on them, I've assessed them, and I'm ready to have those graded for that report card. So before we get into how to create these lesson plans and how to do it in less time, we are going to take a quick break. We are popping in real quick to let you know about a new product line available in our store at teachingonthedouble.com slash store. That's right. We now have inserts for your digital planner. Currently, we have unit planning inserts and lesson planning inserts that work with both Google Slides and tablet digital planners. These inserts are fully editable so you can customize them to work for you and they can be used again and again year after year, which means you only have to purchase them once. 
Exactly. These inserts are meant to give you additional templates for organizing your plans in a more detailed way. So if you want to get your hands on them, you know, digitally, head over to teachingonthedouble.com slash store to grab your unit planning inserts and lesson planning inserts right away. We're back and we're ready to talk about how to actually lesson plan and do it in an efficient way. So we've broken it down into steps because we love us some good steps. Yes, we do. And we've kept the steps very simple. Okay. Step number one, select a standard and determine the objective. Okay. These are a partnership. They've got to go together. As we know, standards have to be broken down. One standard will often extend over several lessons. Some of them even extend over the entire school year. And you might even hit on several standards within a lesson. You might be wondering, well, where do I find my standards? If you're new to this, if you're a new teacher, you're like, but wait, I don't know what standards. It depends on your state or school. I wish I could give you a better answer, but ask a team teacher, ask your administrator so you know what set of standards your school uses or district or state. But once you select the standard or standards that you're going to use for that lesson, you have to write an objective. And I'm going to say this. Each lesson has one objective. Okay? Amen, girl. Amen. <laughs> you're not hitting on, well, I want them to be able to do this and that. No, no, no your lesson has one objective. Now, some people call this different things. Some people call this a learning target, or you might have an essential question that guides your lesson, or a student objective. I remember growing up in elementary school and even into like middle school and high school, my teachers would always write it on the board as students will be able to, and then one of us would have to read it aloud because that's how, I guess, my district worded it. I don't know. How do you remember these things? Because, okay, you want to know why? Because <laughs> I was that paranoid kid and I was worried if I get called on and I have to read the objective out loud, I would go into class and immediately start practicing it like in my Aww, head you're cute. because I would get anxious about getting called on and having to read it. I was drawing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is why we're friends. Okay. Now, ideally your objective should be written in kind of kid-friendly language. It should be something that someone not related to education could understand, right? Like you don't want to yes. use all of this education verbiage within your objective. And it should be based on the learning you want students to come away from the lesson with. So for example, I can summarize blah, 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 blah. There should be a verb related to the learning, not the product. Bridget's yes. actually the one that came up with like that little blurb. And I was like, oh, I love that. Because a lot of teachers will be like, I can create a poster. No, no, no. That's no. not an objective. It's what are they learning? What skill are they actually performing? If you are using Common Core or whatever they call it now, because they keep just changing the name of it, even though the standards are the same, you can find objectives for each standard already written. So just Google, you could find like a PDF that has all of them, which is great. But Think about how you would word the goal of the lesson to someone not in education. So if a student's parent walked in your room and they're like, hey, what's the point of this lesson? Your objective should be able to tell them in like one sentence, very simple, what is the goal of the lesson? I think that's such an important component of 
um, creating lesson plans. And I feel like a lot of teachers almost want to push that off to the very end. But for Mm -hmm. me, it really defines like, what am I doing? If I can create that objective or that learning target, like it's going to tell me like, where is my focus as a teacher going to be? Yeah, we're going to do all these other things too, right? Because Mm -hmm you know, you're going to add when you're multiplying, you're going to subtract, you know, all those other elements. I'm going to have students doing all these other pieces too, but I need to be very, very focused on what is the goal of today's lesson. Yeah. So important. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Step two is going to be to determine how your students will show what they uh, what they have met with that objective. So this is going to be the assessment. Now, We're jumping to the end, (laughs) but that's going to help you be able to fill in the gaps. This lets you to see where students need to be at the very end of your lesson. So this might be something that's like an independent practice and you need to know like what can students be able to do on their own. This might be something where you're just taking anecdotal notes, you're making observations, you're taking an exit ticket and guys, they don't have to be fancy. You can have a problem on the board, you can have a question on the board and have them do it on a sticky note. Super simple, super Mm -hmm. simple. You can have an organizer that your students are completing from that learning or something that they're doing that day. You might have a classroom discussion that's in within their LMS that they're having to complete. The assessment can vary depending on the lesson that they're doing it, the, um, I guess the number of times that you've taught this specific learning target. So it's the first day you don't want to give them a full blown test, obviously, like assessment does not equal test. Mm -hmm. That's not what that's here for. And of course, this does not have to be graded. In fact, you should not be grading things, especially if it's the first day that you're introducing a brand new learning target. (laughs) So you can do things as simple as just sorting those exit tickets. You can do a, a quick um, checklist on your clipboard and then just kind of grouping students that you know that you need to pull for extra support. This doesn't have to be super fancy. It can be very simple, but that is the goal is to determine what's the assessment for that objective that you've created. Yeah. So in the first step, we kind of came up with the goal for the lesson. That way we knew like what is our target? What are we trying to get students to be able to learn from this lesson? Then in step two, you're figuring out, well, how are you going to know if they've even met that objective? You're coming up with that assessment. Now we're going to go back to the beginning. So step three is to create a hook. This is all about getting students to buy in, like letting them care about what they're learning about. Bridget, I know you kind of shared a little story with me recently. I did. So I recently went through induction classes. Um, And if you're not from the North, I don't know if everybody does inductions, but induction is basically new teacher meetings that you have to do whenever you go into a new school or district. And so basically we were sitting down and I was, um, you know, participating in one of the induction meetings and the guy was talking about, you know, what is the most important part of a lesson? So he asked us all to do like a quick discussion. So everybody's kind of writing them down and he starts reading them off and he says, he goes, Everybody has their own opinions on what they believe is the most important. It's like the meat of the lesson. It's where you're explaining things. It's where you hook the kids. It's the closing. This is everybody's different ideas. He says, to be honest, he goes, the hook is the most important part of your lesson because you have to, science says that you 
you can only hold somebody's attention for so long. And so if you can get them to buy in, if you can hook them from the very beginning, chances are the learning is going to continue. But if you don't get them interested in that topic right at the very start, you're going to lose them. And then they're not going to really learn anything at all. So the hook is truly the most important. And science says it, guys. Have I seen the science? No, but apparently science says it. (laughs) I love that. So when we say create a hook and getting your students to buy in, really that means finding it a finding a way to connect it to their life. This could be done through showing a video clip, showing pictures, telling a story. Maybe you have props that you hold up. You can give certain quizzes. So I know in like ELA, you could, if you're starting a book, it could be, you know, which character are you most like? And they take almost like one of those personality quizzes to figure out which character they're most like. You could do some kind of a little science experiment. It doesn't have to be fancy, okay? I'm thinking back to when I taught fourth grade math, One of the lessons was always on that there's 360 degrees in a circle. Okay. That was like the goal for students to learn. Okay. And so I would always start it by showing them a video clip of a guy doing skateboard tricks. And specifically, he would do what's called a 360, which is where the skateboard spins all the way around. I'm not a skateboard expert, but (laughs) I showed this to my students and it was something they could connect to. And they're like, oh, that's a 360. And we would talk about, well, why is it called that? And like, it allowed them to see that this math skill actually applies to their real life. It was as simple as finding a one minute video clip on YouTube. That's all it was. But your hook also doesn't have to be short. Again, there's not a right or wrong wrong way here. That entire hook might be a full lesson, but that might set you up for several lessons to come. So when you're sitting down to plan a lesson and you get to step three, you're creating that hook, ask yourself, how can we make students care about what they are learning? It's all about getting them to invest in the lesson. Yeah, absolutely. From there, your next step is going to be to scaffold instruction. So when we're scaffolding instruction, you want to think about it like the the set of steps from where students are now and where you want them to end up. So this is the objective to the assessment, right? And so uh, I'm from the South. (laughs) And when I was learning about um, scaffolding instruction, we all know that I do, we do, and you do, right, Michelle? You know that mm-hmm. one, right? Yep. Okay, yep. well, in the South, we add another step. <laughs> we have the I do, the we do, the y'all do, and the you do. <laughs> I love that. I'm sorry. I've got the giggles now. All right. So the reason for this, and and I'll kind of explain this real quick, is so the I do is me where I'm providing that explicit instruction. The we do is where I ask for input. This may be a simple turn and talk from students, them telling me what word I need to fill in, but we're doing this together. The y'all do is more of like a partner or a group practice. And then the you do is where they do it independently. So this can be where you're modeling, you're doing that shared learning, you're having some form of practice for kids to be able to do, but you're scaffolding that instruction and you're making it a little bit more challenging each time. So you want them to feel really confident when they get to that piece of the assessment. And this is why the scaffolded instruction is so unbelievably important. Remember guys, this does not have to be amazing, okay? 
for my lessons, I would do a simple, like I'm filling out a graphic organizer and I would have a, a printed page from my story that I would hand out to partners and then they would turn and talk and they would put it on a sticky note together. That's as simple as my lessons would be, but because they had opportunities to have conversations, they got to move about the room. That is what kind of built up and got them more excited about the learning that was occurring and I was scaffolding it. So they knew exactly what was expected of them. I didn't just throw them in the waters and say, good luck guys, peace out, I'm leaving. <laughs> I would never do that to them. Well, maybe. <laughs> only to teach them a lesson, right? Only only to teach the lesson. <laughs> I do think it's important to note here that you don't have to go through all of these steps that I do, we do, y'all do, you do in a single lesson. It mm -hmm. might be that day one of the lesson is the I do and the we do. Maybe day two is the y'all do. And maybe day three is the you do. It's going to vary from lesson to lesson. So just yeah. keep that in mind. One of the things that I did, um, one of my favorite lessons was when I started teaching like inferencing because inferencing is a really, really hard skill. Mm -hmm. But I would do like a little crime scene setup, And mm -hmm. so they would come in and there would be like footprints and there would be things turned over and there would be things missing. That was one day. That was yep. one day yep. of a lesson and that was my hook. That was exactly. the one piece that would kind of get us in, but it was such an exciting lesson and the kids could really make connections to it and they felt like detectives, which was always really fun. Yep. Love it. Okay. We're ready for the final step. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> step number five is to prepare differentiation options. These are going to be ways to tweak the lesson you've already made to fit different student needs. Now, we could do an entire episode on differentiation and maybe yeah. we will in the future. So I'm going to keep this short and snappy, but I like to think about differentiation in categories. There's different things you can differentiate within a lesson. You can differentiate the content, the process. So the way that students are learning it, the product, so what they're creating by the end or the environment. And of course you can do a combination of any of these. So it can be an and or an or or an and or. Okay, so a few ideas for ways to differentiate the content. You might have leveled passages, depending on students' reading levels, or leveled problems, depending on their current skill set. You might also have audio recordings of the passages or the problems being read aloud so that reading level isn't a barrier for students to be able to access the content. You can differentiate the process by giving a student, a graphic organizer to help them be able to kind of guide their thinking. You could give them a list of steps to follow. I know for some students in math, like they needed a clear set of steps to follow each time they would solve a problem. You can differentiate the product by having students create an audio recording versus writing or using like the speech to text option on Google Docs rather than actually typing it. You could give them an option to complete something digitally versus paper or vice versa. And then finally, differentiating the environment can be as simple as offering flexible seating option, giving students the choice to wear noise canceling headphones if they find noise distracting. So having a list of these and kind of some ideas in mind for the lesson you're creating is going to make it that much more effective of a lesson when you actually teach it. 
So those are the five tips that we have for you for creating your lesson plans in less time. Now we do have some quick tips to make sure that you are feeling really successful when you go about this. So tip number one is to make sure that your lesson mirrors your time block structure. Again, if you have not listened to episode 140, um, I told you to do that at the very beginning of the episode. I just want to point that out. But you need to go back and listen to the one thing holding your lesson planning back. So for example, if my less, if my mini lesson is only supposed to be 20 minutes, is that what I've accounted for in my structure of my time block, then my lesson plan needs to reflect this. So if my hook is going to be 20 minutes, then that's what I have for today. If I'm able to get through the hook and the I do and the we do, then that's my mini lesson for today. Make sure that you're mirroring what that lesson is supposed to be and how much time you have within your, your structure for your block. Love that. Tip number two is to use your lesson to guide those remaining components of your block or class time. So for example, if you are doing a lesson on long division, then your warm up may include a problem on multiplication or fluency practice with basic division facts. That way it's kind of setting students up for success and triggering that prior knowledge so that you can be as efficient with your time as possible when you're actually teaching the lesson. So your lesson should relate to all other areas. That way students can see those connections. And then the final tip is to prepare a list of grab and go strategies. These are going to be the ways, sorry, Mr. Motorcycle Man, (laughs) but these are going to be the ways to engage your students. So wearing a costume or doing an interpretive dance. Michelle, did you put that on there? (laughs) I did. Okay. When I taught fourth grade science, there were certain (laughs) lessons where it literally wanted us to read from the textbook and it was the most boring thing I have ever read in my entire life. And so one day I'm reading it and all I remember is it had to do with rocks. I don't remember if it was like, I think the different types of rocks, like igneous, metamorphic, whatever. Yeah. And as I was reading it, I just started doing these interpretive dance moves to like model what I was talking about. And my students freaking loved it. And I got begged to do interpretive dances like anytime <laughs> I read after that. So it might have been a mistake on my point, but it was a super easy way to like keep their attention while I'm reading this super boring passage. <laughs> okay. Well, you could do interpretive dance, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> but find ways to really engage your students and get them excited. I like things that are more simple, <laughs> like good old turn and talks. I like I love me an anchor chart, just gallery walk. That is one of my favorite Mm -hmm. go-to strategies and I do it again and again and again. And then also have a list of grab and go strategies for how you want your students to be able to practice. So you could do this with games like sink or swim. You could do rock, paper, scissors. Um, I, of course, these are Michelle's ideas. I just want to throw that out there. Okay. Because I... (laughs) Like, I don't know what she's talking about right now. Okay, I'll elaborate. So rock, paper, scissors, basically you have a, um, think of a piece of paper split in half and there's problems on each side. So students work in partners. One student is working on the problems on the left side. The other student is working on the problems on the right side. Okay. Each time before they go, they have to do rock, paper, scissors. Whoever wins gets to solve a problem. It's almost like they're working up a ladder. And so their goal is to get through all of their problems before the other person. But in order to solve one, they have to win rock, paper, scissors. So this can be used with any practice problems and you don't have to prep anything additional. That's really smart. 
It's, I like yeah, that. Now I feel like I'm a really boring teacher, y'all, because when I talk about like ways for my students to practice, I like me a good old sort. Okay. I love anything <laughs> where I can sort like cards. I like anything that just in- includes like discussions. I like things where they can go and highlight stuff. Like I am such a boring person. <laughs> I like I like gamifying things and I think it's because I'm a competitive person so I work a lot of that in. You're competitive? I know right? (laughs) You learn something new every day. Um, But the point here is is no matter your teaching style whether you are a teacher that is very competitive like Michelle and likes to gamify things if you're a boring person like me and you just like to keep things simple having a list of those grab and go strategies that you could just be able to pull and reuse them guys don't feel bad about reusing these strategies. The more that we use them that the more students get to uh, know those activities, the more confident they become and the more they start to focus on the learning that's occurring rather than focusing on, but wait, how am I supposed to be doing that? That is really, really important. Um, And just reuse them as you go and throughout the year and put those into your lesson plans. All right. We've reached the end of the episode, but before we wrap it up, we have an exciting announcement. Technically, you already know about it because you heard the ad at the beginning of the podcast. But <laughs> Bridget and I have some new products available in our store. We are going to be releasing kind of a line of these inserts. These are templates that are designed to be added in to your digital planner. The great thing is they work with both Google Slides and tablet planners, and they include both landscape and portrait orientation. So you buy the one set of inserts, you can use them with any planner, and you can use them again and again, year after year. It's a one-time purchase. Fantastic. I know. Plus, they do include a tutorial video that will walk you through how to use it with both planner types. They are fully editable and customizable, and they can be inserted into your planner on any blank page, but Our real vision for these is to have them inserted on those colored pages. So you know how up at the top you have the pink, orange, yellow, and so on? This would be the perfect place to insert those. So we have a set of lesson planning inserts. It just has some basic templates and kind of layouts that you can use. You can fill in those different components that we talked about. Like I said, Mm -hmm. they are editable, but it just gives you a structure to kind of work off of and it makes it that much easier for you. So if you are interested in grabbing them, you can head over to our store at teachingonthedouble.com slash store. And while you're there, we would love for you to check out our website and submit your time-sucking hurdle. We want to know what is your TSH right now. Guys, we all have a lot of them. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Uh, We would also love for you to subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notified the next time we drop our new episode, which is on Thursday mornings. And please, please, please leave us a review over on iTunes. We uh, really do appreciate hearing from you, and it really does help us to get out into the ears of so many other teachers out there. So until next time. Be timely, stay organized, and be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.